This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 161. It was a good thing. Even though I lost one of my favorite earrings, at that same second is when I said, wait a minute, what if it was pretty on both sides and it locked? Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and thank you so much for joining me on the show today. And you're going to be happy that you did because I have a special announcement for you. At the end of this month, and if you're listening live, it's May 2018, my book is going to be published and out to the world. It has been a long journey, to be sure. I've been telling a lot of people lately that I go to sleep at night and all I see is words flying in front of my eyes from all the editing and all the detail work that needs to be done when you're publishing a book. It's called Maker to Master, Find and Fix What's Not Working in Your Small Business. And guess what? I want to offer it to you, my very special group of podcast listeners, for free. Just go over to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash free book, enter your name, and then you'll be added to a list to be notified when the book is available and how to get your hands on it for free. As with all good things, this is only available for a short time, so make sure not to miss it. That link again is giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash free book. And now let's move on to the show with Wendy Santini. Wendy is the owner of Pins It Limited. Actually, this is Wendy's third career. She also co-owns a family flooring business and practiced as a registered nurse. Wendy's product is a woman's fashion accessory invented quite by accident. She was trying to solve a problem while she was wearing her favorite new sweater, and suddenly, the idea for Pins It was born. But once Wendy had her idea, where does she go next? She knew nothing about product development and manufacturing when she got started, but she sure does now. She's here to tell you her story. Wendy, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you, Sue. Thanks so much for having me. I like to start out our show in a little bit of a different way, Wendy, and that is by having you describe yourself through the image of what would be your ideal motivational candle. So if you were to share with us what your candle would look like that really resonates with you, what color would it be and what would be the quote on your candle? I love the color fuchsia. That's part of my logo on pins it. I always told my children every night before they went to sleep, if you could dream it, you could do it. And I believe that's what I would have on my candle because I really believe if you feel you could dream it, you could do it. Yeah, you know, it speaks to possibilities, but there is no possibility if you don't start with a vision, with a dream, right? Exactly. And that's how things happen. You have to envision what you want to do with whatever you're dreaming about. Yeah, because honestly, if you would have never had that moment when you were trying to figure out how to wear your sweater, none of this would have happened. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> We're piquing the curiosity of everybody. So tell us the whole story. I didn't want to give it away in the intro. So tell us the whole story. What happened? So I bought this sweater and I was constantly putting a safety pin on the sweater because 
I'm not big, but you know how shrugs just fall off your shoulders. And I really liked wearing it, so I kept using the safety pin, and I was like, God, I'm so sick of the safety pin, trying to pin it inside. And then one day I went through my jewelry box, and I'm like, I got to have something. And I ended up finding one of my pearl earrings, and I'm like, oh, this would be so cool. Let me just put it through. So I put it through the sweater, and I had it on. And like most things that don't have a locking system, when you spread your arms open, things come apart. I didn't realize that until later when I lost my pearl earring. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a good thing. Even though I lost one of my favorite earrings, at that same second is when I said, wait a minute, what if it was pretty on both sides and it locked? So really in that moment, it was that day, I called my daughter and I was telling her, she was actually in high school at the time, and I called her and she's like, oh, mom, I think that's a good idea. And then I called my mother, of course, and I told her the same thing. And she's like, I think it's a really great idea, too. And then we happened to have one of our flooring stores is right by a fabric store that has all those arts and beads and crafts supplies and join fabrics. And I went there and I just kind of they call it Frankensteining it now, but I just kind of mocked up what I was visioning. You know what I mean? What I wanted to do. So I just gathered anything in that store that I thought would be possible to describe to somebody what I wanted to do on the functionality of it. And that night, I actually sat down with my husband, Mark, and we just started playing with drill bits and different things. And I got the idea so that people could actually visually see what I was talking about. So were you thinking already right from that moment that you wanted this to be a product you were creating? Or were you just making it to see what you could make for yourself? Well, at first it started out like, I'm just going to make this for myself. And then as I started telling friends, we all wear scarves, shrugs, capes, shawls, all those fashionable clothing. But a lot of people had the same problem that I was describing. And so with me telling them all about it and then showing them, because I was able to actually make this product, I actually used a sewing needle from a sewing machine to start it. And then I drilled it into a bead And then I drilled another side. So I was actually able to show the functionality of it to them. And they really started going crazy because they all wanted it. It's so cool when you figure out a product and over and over again, you get confirmation that it's something that really people need. Right. But at the same time, it's like nerve wracking. Like, is this really something or are they just my friends telling me? You know what I mean? Very true. Yeah. The confirmation's great, but you're not sure if it's true. So what ended up happening, my best childhood friend, who's like my brother, is a patent attorney and an engineer. And I actually researched the idea. I read pin patents for probably six weeks, I want to say, because I couldn't believe that something like this it didn't exist. But what instead I found out is that like everything is a pin, just so many things besides car parts, but parts of your door jam. It was crazy just reading about the different things. So then finally, I got the nerve up to call him because I didn't want to embarrass myself because I was thinking it still was out there somewhere. Yeah, because you always feel like if it's your idea, it's really not worth it, right? Because how could you think of something like that that could be big, right? Exactly. That's the whole thing is that's why most inventions don't take place. As I've talked to more and more people, so many people have said, I thought of this and could you believe this came out? Even for the phones, you know, you lose your phone. Yeah. Put it on your purse. Yeah. Someone at one of my shows that I've gone to over the past few years, someone was telling me that they thought of that idea. There's another person that was telling me about this different toothbrush that they had thought about this idea. 
So you just find that there's so many people that have regrets. Oh, you mean they thought about the idea, but they didn't follow through on it. Exactly. They never followed through. Because ah, it's yeah. a hard process. It's just not an easy thing. So I called my best friend, Jeff, and I sent him a picture, actually. It was like Super Bowl Sunday, I want to say. It's three years now. And he was really curious. So then he ended up researching it for me, and it didn't exist. So... In March, I filed my first patent. You have to find provisional and non-provisionals. Talk this through for people who are thinking of creating a product. This would be helpful. Yeah, you have to file a provisional and a non-provisional patent. You file it, and then you have a year to basically make your prototype of whatever you're inventing. And then after the year is up, you have to have your prototype, and then you file your next patent, your non-provisional. And then when you do that, only after that, point can you really go out and do like the trade shows do the arts and crafts fairs because you're not really protected until that point you mean so you don't go out you don't want exposure to it because you don't want people to know exactly you don't want people to know yeah so originally with the provisional you just had your prototype right the one that you and your husband were making we just drew pictures i worked with an engineer okay and it took me a year with this engineer, and he was a man. He was a great man, nice man, love him. But he kept wanting to make this fancier than it needed to be. And he came up with six different locking systems, which cost, again, a lot of money, a lot of time. And only to go back when I finally made the one out of the six that I liked, but it was like six different parts just to get this locking system. I found a local company, which was very unusual because there's no manufacturing around that will do anything in the United States. It's just a horrible learning life lesson that we really need manufacturing back in our country. But I finally found this local guy by just talking to everybody. Any person that was interested in hearing about what I was doing, I would ask a question. Do you know anybody? Do you know anybody? It was like the repetitive question I asked. And finally, one day, I found someone who happened to be a friend of my accountant that has a small machine shop and he was able to make my prototype. But at the same time, I met with him and explained to him how I didn't want it to be so complicated. I really wanted it to be simple, like my original idea. It was very simple. And he, in turn, made my prototype for me, which cost like $1,000 to make five of them. It was crazy. And at the same time, he proved my original invention and my original locking system. So I, of course, went with the easier route because manufacturing, again, is so hard to find anybody. I had 10 companies bid out just trying to do my prototype. He was the only person that got back to me because nobody was interested in doing it. Wow. No kidding. The other thing I really like so far about what you're talking about is the engineer, the person that you were using to do all of the locking systems isn't really your target customer. It's more women focused, right? I don't know that guys would use this. I might be wrong. No, I've had a couple of men who have stopped and said they would use it for certain things. But primarily women, right? 99.9%. Yes, of course. Yeah. So you knew what we would want. Well, we just want simple and most people don't want a complicated thing. All I wanted was to be able to twist it to lock and twist it to open it. Righty tidy, lefty loosey. It was just a very simple product. I didn't want it to go so elaborate. And I don't want six different parts. I wanted the two finlings on the end and the pin. That was all I wanted. So you landed the design. 
So I landed the design, but then again, fast forward, we don't have manufacturing. I couldn't find any company. Went back to the same companies that asked to do my prototype, and nobody would get back to me as far as making this product, give me a price. I had no idea where to go. I went online. I contacted all these various companies. Nobody wanted to do it. So finally, I called back my engineer, and I said, what do I need to do to make this product? What machines do I need? What are the drill bits that I need? What are all the tools? So he gave me a list of everything, and I ordered all these mini presses. So you were thinking you were going to do it yourself? I got so frustrated. That's why I ended up just doing it myself. So this was, again, a year and a few months later, after doing the whole locking system, getting back to the machinist who proved my original product. And I ordered everything, and I just started playing. I never used a drill in my life. But I learned how to use a mini jewelry press. And I ordered all these drill bits. I found out the ones that work better, the ones that don't do as well. I started using little Dremel machines at first. And just to tweak it and tweak it and tweak it and get it to the point of liking my product. I didn't want to embarrass myself and go out there and have something that didn't work. Right. So it ended up that I finally figured it out. And after three months of making a thousand of them, you get better as you do each one. You learn about the sharpening, the threading, the drilling. As anything, when you do it, you get better at it as you do more. So what ended up happening is I did a show. My first show, I decided to do a really big venue because I wanted the mask. I wanted a lot of people to see it to get a really good judgment of price point and what they thought of my product. So I signed up for the Novi Women's Expo show, which is in Michigan. And that was in May. That was my first show that I did. And there was probably, I want to say, like 18,000 in attendance. I guess normally they say they had 30,000. That's why I picked that show, because I wanted really big quantities of people and women. But I ended up my first weekend, I sold $4,500 in retail sales. Good for you. Yeah. So it was like, okay, I think they like it, right? There was a lot of pieces, that units that I sold. Yeah. Okay. So let me stop you. I have a couple of questions for you here. I love the fact that you're talking about your first show being a place where you can test everything out. Right. I think that's so important because you can test receptivity of your product, right? If people are going to be interested and then if they'll buy at the right price point and then all your functionality, packaging it up, actually shipping it, how much inventory you have, everything. A show is so great when you're starting out. I really, really am glad that you mentioned that. Thinking back to it, and now that you've been through that process, is there anything that you would tell somebody who's just starting out and going to their first show that you wish you would have known at that time? Well, I would probably do a show closer to home. I didn't realize there were so many venues actually around here Mm -hmm. that had women's expos as well. Like there's one in the city. And I think there was one at Rosemont. Because you start adding all the cost factors into the hotel, the driving, your food, your gas. Not that I didn't still make money, but I didn't realize I could have done that right here in the city of Chicago. And do you feel like you needed to go to as big a show? Could you have gone to a smaller show closer and gotten the same information? Obviously, not necessarily the same sales, but the same learnings that you were looking for. I don't know. I think the Women's Expo, there's a lot of great people 
a lot of great experience with those shows. Not that I really love doing them, to be honest with you. Most women's expos, the people tend to just want everything for free. I know that sounds horrible, but they promote a lot of grocery stores that bring in stuff. A lot of people go to them for what they call freebies. So they just more giveaways. So just from experience, I don't mean to be rude. No, we want the truth here, Wendy. Yeah, I wouldn't really recommend them. I did a second expo in Arizona because my kids go to school out there. And it was a great show. Again, you meet lots of wonderful women and people like yourself, but it's a lot of money. It seems like it's triple the money that you could do just a regular other show. Okay, gotcha. So an art fair could cost you $350 for a space. Maybe could go up to as high as $1,000, but the expos are well over $1,000 generally. Right. It's just money and it just took price point of your product. My price point is $15. So I have to sell a lot of pins when I'm doing a big show like that, which I do, but I could say you could probably make the same amount of money just doing a local smaller show. So when you went to that first show, Wendy, did you already go in thinking the price point was going to be 15 No, I thought the price point was going to be 20 because I was basing it on time. And first, I spent so much time making each and every one. But as the show went on, I actually started just in the morning for a few hours. And I made plenty of sales at 20 But I found that everybody likes a gimmick more. So I did 15 and 2 for 25 Oh, there you go. Yeah. I was playing back and forth with that, but I think my husband was like, you should try for 20. You put so much time into it. But I didn't really see the value at 20. I thought 15 was a better price point. And did you see most people were then going for the 25 deal instead of the 15? Yeah. 90% of the sales that I make at pretty much all of my shows are two for 25. And it's always like a friend or a sister or they're buying a gift. So they always feel the value of two for 25. Right. Because you want one for yourself and then one to give someone else, right? Yeah. And I'm going to stick with that price point. I think it's a great price point. Just wait until you hear what Wendy does next. We'll hear that right after a word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of the Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. And now I've moved on to finally finding a manufacturer. Oh, I was so hoping you were going to say that. (laughs) I was going to get to that in a minute. Yay. So talk us through how that happened. So again... When you're doing anything new, you just have to talk to everybody. You have to just ask question after question after question. And everybody at these shows, like you said at the beginning, they're just like you or me. There's a lot of first timers, but there's a lot of people that have been doing this for 10, 20 years. So I just kept asking. And finally, just recently, I did a show in Schomburg and the man next to me, he was a manufacturer. It was meant to be, Wendy. It was crazy. It was just crazy. So I just couldn't believe it. So I had him sign my NDA because my attorney makes everyone I talk to sign an NDA. And I gave him my samples of my top 10 products. And he said, I will be in touch with you in January. 
And he was in touch with me in January. And I just received on Friday my first sample of my manufactured product. And what's the verdict? Is it good? It's great. He did a great job. What ended up happening is he has to make the shaft of my pen a little bit thicker, which I was very worried about because I really wanted to keep it with the gauge of a medium safety pen because I didn't want people ruining their clothing, obviously, when they're using it. But primarily my product's meant for sweater materials. It's really the sole purpose of keeping your shrugs, your scarves, your shawls, mostly knit material clothes. So I tried it on with every single item in my closet that I would wear it with, and it didn't ruin any of the materials. So it was a success. That's a beautiful thing for sure. Yeah, I was very, very nervous about the thickness of it, but they did a fabulous job. It's so pointy. It just goes right through. Even my silky blazer that I wear like once every show, it went right through that too and didn't damage it. Perfect. Because honestly, if you were going to keep doing production, there is no way you'd ever be able to scale the business. Not a chance. Not a chance. So what ended up happening in the year and four months that I've done shows, I've made 8,000 of my pins. (laughs) Gulp. (laughs) 8,000. And I'm not your typical person making, I'm the owner of the business. So I put so much of me in it and I want it to be perfect. So Even though I've tested it, broken it down by the hour, how many I could drill, how many I could put together, et cetera, it still ends up a lot more time because it's my name on it. I'm putting out there. I'm in front of you for every show that I've done, and I want it to be perfect. So out of the 8,000, I've only had a handful of them get returned, and I just give them a new one. There you go. Yeah, because I'm not perfect. I'm a human, and I'm not soldering. I'm just using Gorilla Glue. You know what I mean? So now your whole price structure looks different, not in terms of the price you're offering to the customer, right? Because you've already said you're staying at the 15 and 25. Right. But I'm thinking your back end numbers now look much better. The profitability on the product looks better because you're not putting in the time now, even though you've got someone else making your product. Right. Yeah. So it's much more free time for me. The only issue I'm working on at the moment now is packaging, which is another learning process. Like everything you're doing when you're inventing your product, each step takes time to figure out. So again, I'm reaching out to all my contacts. My best friend owns a company who is worldwide. So they deal with a lot of packaging. So he's actually right. We're meeting on Thursday. So he could give me all of his list of contacts because I want it to be a really pretty item. I want it to look like a present in a box. I don't want to keep doing my little plastic bags and paper bags. I want to kind of upgrade it a little bit. Okay, perfect. So that was the answer to the next question. You're always foreseeing what my questions are going to be, Wendy. So that's perfect. Because my question was going to be to you, now that you have more time, what are you doing to advance the business? So you've just said now the next thing you're looking at is the packaging. You want to upgrade it and all of that. The one thing that I hear you continuing to say that's helped you move to the next step over and over again through your story is reaching out to others and seeing who they know, right? So that you did that for your legal, you did that for your product sourcing now that you have someone, a factory that can make for you, and then now you're doing it again with your shipping. How are you approaching or finding people or starting those conversations? I mean, I talk to so many people, obviously, because I'm in retail. 
But it's just asking anybody, anybody in the conversation. You don't always want to be talking about yourself and your product, obviously. But my real estate broker, he is the one that put me in touch with the engineer. And then my engineer is the one that helped me with all the ordering. My accountant, like I said, is the one that ended up finding me this machine man to make my prototype. So I have another one of my commercial accounts that helped me with a contact on other things with shows and stuff like that. I guess the big point is let people know what you're up to. Well, exactly. I mean, and and again, a lot of people get scared and they don't want to talk about their product, but you have to believe that not every person in the world is vindictive. You have to just have faith in people that they're not going to go and steal your idea. You know what I mean? Well, and seriously, look at how difficult it was. I mean, you've mentioned a couple of challenges along the way already. The majority of people aren't going to do that. Right. But there's so many people that get so scared to talk about anything. And it's like, I just kind of learned, like, even the NDA, I'm like, my non-provisional, my provisional, they're signed. So I don't really technically need to have all that. But legal, my attorney, he wants everything signed. Okay, fine. Yeah, the NDAs, the non-disclosure agreements, share with our audience what those are in case we have some people here who aren't sure. Oh, it's just an agreement between you and whoever you're speaking to. Let it be a manufacturer. Let it be just someone who's an engineer or someone working to make your web design or pictures. And it's just stating that they will not take any of your information and use it for their own purpose or give it to others. Okay. And at what point in the conversation do you ask them to sign an NDA? Pretty much right at the beginning you want to ask for their services if you're interested, but you also at the same time want to make sure that they're willing to sign an NDA. A lot of companies have no problem with it. And sometimes you'll get people that make you change a million things on it. And I just kind of realize those are the people you don't really want to deal with. Mm, Good point. Well, it's just more legal fees for yourself. And if they're making you take all this information out, then they're really not going to want to work for you anyways. Right. If it seems too difficult, you're probably going to run into trouble later, too. I think that happens with lots of different things, including customers. If you have someone who's just so challenging, it's better to just agree that there isn't good synergy there or whatever and move on to something else. And our flooring stores, we call it the 2% rule because there's just 2% of the people that you just, as much as you try to please everybody, you just can't please everybody because people... We're all human and we all have different expectations, I guess. That's a very wonderful and nice way of saying that. I like (laughs) it. I like it. (laughs) I want to take you back to that first show again. How did you set up your initial display? So you're starting from really just your product. What did you do to get started in that? Oh, that was hilarious. And when I think back to that, we ended up renting a trailer and I brought everything humanly possible that I can think of to the show. It was hilarious. This particular show, you had to have flooring in your space. So I brought a 12 by 15 piece of carpet and it was a 10 by 10 space. My tables, I did a mock-up in my basement. So I wanted to have six tables that were each five feet by two. And I wanted to go the perimeter. I wanted to have all my mannequins. I brought like six mannequins. And I didn't really have anything but like two picture frames that I laid my product loosely, each one on them. They're glass picture frames. They're really actually kind of neat. 
But in retrospect, I was so unorganized. When I think back, I feel sorry for the people that had to sit there and wait because I had plastic bags with 40 different styles of my product because that's when I started. I had so many different ones that I wanted to put out there, but I wasn't smart enough at the time to have an organizational system in place. Okay. And so how has that changed now today? Oh my God. Now I have two filing boxes that are pretty because everything when you're doing a show has to be pretty. So I found these black great boxes at Michael's or John Fabrics and I just put file folders in them and I labeled each file folder with the style of the design and I have them organized and all filled up before the show starts. And then I have a third basket that has all my bags with my thank you notes and my cards and my labels. And now I find a product in five seconds as opposed to five minutes. Which you're right is really, really important because if people have to wait too long, it's not even that they won't necessarily wait. It's that they'll get distracted by another booth or their friend will come in and say, oh my gosh, you've got to see this. You've got come, come, come. I want to show you something. And then sometimes they forget to come back. Yeah, my booth happens to get three, four, five people deep. So I still am having the issues of people sometimes getting frustrated because my product, because I have so many to choose from, which again is why I narrowed it down, back down to just 10 that are going to come in gold and silver. That it, it would be that people made such a hard, it was a hard decision. It shouldn't be that hard. Okay, this is a super good point, too. I have like 7,000 topics I want to go with, but I'm just going to grab a couple or else this is going to be like a two-hour interview. Right. (laughs) All right, so let's summarize one more time just your booth. The one thing that you did was make sure that you were organized enough so that you could move through people who were making a purchase relatively quickly after they made their selection. Exactly. And now we're talking about the fact that you've narrowed down what you're offering, which is so important. I'm actually working on a project right now where I'm talking about that specific thing, how research has shown you give people too many options and they get so overwhelmed, they purchase nothing. I can tell you from retail point of view, same exact thing. We have such a huge store in Vernon Hills. I mean, it's 10,000 square feet. So people come in and it's overwhelming to them. So you really have to narrow the process for them. So I found the same thing with Pinzet. It's overwhelming when you have two trays of product, people can't focus. So were you seeing people walking away? Sometimes I would see people struggle to the point where I have actually backup trays now. So I have two trays on the front, but I have two backup trays. So I could push those people to my side table and say, take your time and look at them just because other people behind them would get so frustrated. Right. So now you've narrowed down from, what did you say, 40 designs to 10? Originally, I had 40. And on my website, I think there's 24 that I still show. But as it goes forward, like I just have my first sample that's going into production. And then he's going to do six more within the month. And then the last three the month after that. So I'll continue to do shows with the product that I made, and then I'll continue to add in as I go forward and narrow down at the same time. Got it. So I'll run out of my inventory. I'm not buying beads anymore. I'm not buying shafts anymore. So once I run out of my inventory, I'm going to just replace it with or kind of do it at the same time. Perfect. Yeah, because you have an investment already in that inventory, so you might as well use it. 
Yeah. So I still have, I think, five or six hundred, but I'm going to end up ordering like 20,000 pieces. Sure. Yeah. So it's another cliff to jump off of. But again, I've sold a lot of them and I really want to grow my company. And the only way that I could do that is to get in bigger areas like an HSN or a QVC or if I want to do the Today Show which is all part of your last question I know you're going to ask me. Go to America. I'm not going to do the Shark Tank. That's ruled out 100%. But if I want to go that route bigger, I need more inventory. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about customers after they make a purchase from you. Are you staying in touch with them or what are you doing after someone buys? What I just do in my bags is I give them a thank you note. I give them my card. I tell them about my website. I get a ton of repeat and referral people. A lot of people have bought online as well. And what happens with me, I've found, because I am so have been pretty much in the Chicagoland area doing my shows. I've done a couple in Arizona. I did one in California. I'm going to try to do a couple on the East Coast, actually, this summer. But I find that I have so many customers out there that they all go to these art shows. They all go to the same art fairs. They all go to the same craft fairs. So I'm constantly seeing people and reconnecting and they thank me and that type of thing. But as far as anything directly, I haven't done anything. Okay. That may be a next phase down the road. (laughs) Yeah, I'm researching and looking. I met with these younger kids. They're young. I call them kids because they're in their early 20s. But we talked about the search engine optimization, Mm -hmm. the SEOs, the internet. And my type of product Again, it's so specific. You put in every word, a sweater, you put in pin, you put in sweater pin, but there's so many things that come up. You know what I mean? So their feelings were, I would be spending five to $750 a month. They didn't think I would get much bang for my buck. I don't know if you've ever been on the Etsy platform, but if you list any of your products on there and you have to use all their search engine words, so use every one of them. They give you, I think, 20 options. So I do sweaters, I do pins, I do scarves, I do shawls, I do capes. And so I utilize all that so that when someone's searching, then my product comes up when they put that word in. Got it. No, I mean, that's a hard part. The web itself is just a hard thing. You have to really pay a lot of money to do the advertising. And are you using social media at all? I just have Instagram and I'm working on updating my Facebook page with my son, actually. I'm going to Arizona next week, and he's going to help me better with that. That's where I lack, and that's where I need help on making my web page better and making my Facebook and, I think, Instagram. So that's the point also where I need to probably reach out towards professionals now. Well, there's a lot of opportunity out there for you in that end, too. So now your product is solid, your production is solid, your packaging is going to be solid. Right. You're making money. I mean, there's a lot of learning already that you've done. And so you just keep building as you go, right? It's a work in progress. It's always a work in progress. So my next step is just like we said, the packaging and I need to work on my social media and my web design and my photographs. So once I end up finally getting my 10 that I'm going to manufacture in the two colors, I'm going to work with a professional to actually take pictures. And again, someone recommended like even going to a college. They said there's probably lots of kids that are willing to take it that are just learning. You know what I mean? 
absolutely. I would almost even do some type of a brochure where if people are waiting at the booth, they could look at all the options and even check off which ones they like or something. Exactly. That's a great idea. Yeah, but going to a local college because you can get them for free many times or high schools even, Wendy, because they're doing college applications. So if they could come in and even intern with you, not necessarily in your location, but they could do something for you. They can use that then for their college application. Exactly. Yeah, they said the same thing for both for web design and for photography. For sure. All right. So what would you say to somebody who is just starting out in business? Maybe they have invented something like you're talking about, or maybe they make cupcakes or knit scarves or they're hand doing beaded jewelry, any of that, but they haven't gotten started yet. What would you say to that person? Well, I I would recommend probably that asking, where do you want to go with this? Do you want to be bigger? Do you want to see more people? And I would probably recommend that they do maybe a craft fair to start. A smaller venue sometimes is easier than doing what I did. (laughs) But it's less money. It's less costly. But you generally, even a small craft fair will bring in a couple thousand people. So at least you'll get some type of survey that'll be factual. You know what I mean? It'll give you an indicator. If there's 2,000 people and 25 bought, maybe there is some interest. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you get to interact with your customer too. That's the other thing about craft shows. You can talk to them. You can see what their thinking is. You can observe. But I like what you said initially, which is have a vision, have an idea of where you think you want it to go, and then do a craft fair to reinforce or see where you might need to adjust to get to where you're planning on going. Right. Exactly. And a lot of people like myself, I mean, I started up, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to get my product out there. I really feel that every female in the United States or the world can use my product on some form of clothing that they own because we all just have something in our closet that we always want to pin. But I had no idea at the point. I was just, I had an invention. I thought it was great. I thought everyone could use this. I solved a problem. But you don't really think at the beginning that you're going to be everywhere. You know what I mean? Because you're always protecting yourself, too. You have to take opportunities as they present themselves to you, too. And you never always know what those are going to be as you start going. Right. But you also have to remember, on the other hand, you never know who you're talking to at one of these events. It could be the owner of a bakery. It could be the owner of a boutique. It could be the buyer for Nordstrom. You never know when you go to a show who you're going to meet. So that keeps it really interesting and keeps you pretty professional, too. Good point. Or she should be anyway, right? It's something to remember so that you are. Well, you just have to always remember that you don't know who you're really talking to. That's true. Kind of something to think about. Yeah. So, Wendy, at this point, I want to invite you to dare to dream what is coming in your future. What's next that you don't know about, okay? I'd like to present you with a virtual gift. It's a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. So this is your dream or your goal of almost unreachable heights, because I really want you to stretch. So something you really would wish to obtain. Please accept this gift and open it in our presence. What is inside your box? I think I've already given that away. You got to tell us again right here. (laughs) I think it would be QBC or HSN. That would be my goal to get 
to those places. Part of the reason why I asked this question is for people to put it out in the environment, like the law of attraction thing. Mm -hmm. And your product, I could totally see on one of those. I mean, it's just perfect. It's a perfect fit for things that they sell there, right? Yeah, they just told me I'm not, I mean, I'm not ready yet. One of the other things, just to go back to, is from my first show, I met some people that I still talk with today. It's a year and a half later. And they are people that have other contacts that have helped me make more contacts too. And one of them happens to be, she just recently signed a contract with HSN. So it's pretty exciting. Not for me, for her, but it's an avenue that maybe when I'm ready, I'll reach out to. Yeah. I mean, you've got to get your production in line because if you sell a ton of pinsets, you've got to be able to deliver. Well, exactly. Right. And so that brings me to starting more on a smaller venue like The View, how they have their steals and deals and Good Rain America has it as well. And Access Hollywood has it and Today's Show has it. So there's a lot of those ones I don't need to have 10,000 of each item where you'd need that for HSN. Well, you are a woman with a plan. I am. I'm doing the grind. I'm having fun. And now I'm just investing more money. But that's, again, what you have to do when you're building a business. For sure. So how can our listeners see what Pins It is all about, Wendy? Where would you direct them? Oh, they could go to www.pinsit.net. And that's my website. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you walking through your entire story. Where would we be in this world if you didn't move forward and make this? Because I have a Pinsit. I use it all the time. So does my friend Barb, because the way I ran into you was at a craft show. And so I'm like, wait a minute, this is really, really good. Let's talk and find out what the story is. And we talked a little bit, if you recall. And I'm like, okay, stop. Don't tell me anymore. Will you be on the show? Right. <laughs> Will you be on the podcast, right? But it's such a great thing. And your biggest overall message is, I think, for our whole audience, is if you have an idea, take action on it before somebody else does. Because someone else might come up with the same thing because we all had the same problem, right? Right. Exactly. But you are the one who actually took action, was really resourceful in figuring out how to get it done. And look, you're well on your way. So congratulations with that. I wish you all the best. And we are going to keep track of you for sure. Thanks, Sue. I appreciate everything. Have a great day. You too. This episode is all wrapped up, but fortunately, your gift biz journey continues. Are you eager to learn more? Our gift biz gal has a free download just for you. Head over to giftbizunwrapped.com slash 12 steps to get your copy of the 12 steps to starting a profitable gift biz. Don't delay. Head over to giftbizunwrapped.com slash 12 steps today. And until next time, happy business crafting.